Well, either way, turn to Exodus chapter 19. However you do that, with an actual Bible or an iPad or cell phone or apps or whatever. Get to Exodus 19. And Lord, by your gracious hand, give us ears to hear tonight all that your spirit is saying to the church in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, last chapter, we made a note that they had come to the mountain of God, it was called, Mount Sinai. But it tells us now, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So as I mentioned last week, um, there were several months, maybe up to nine months, ten months in Egypt. They got out of Egypt. They did a little bit of traveling. Um, and now they've gotten there after three months. So it's, they're about a year or so in to being free from Egypt. And he comes to the wilderness of Sinai. And they had departed from Rephidim. And had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Now, the actual location of Mount Sinai, we really don't know where it's at today. The traditional one, if you were to go on a tour, you, they would take you to this, the Egyptian Sinai Peninsula, which is thought to not be that far from Rephidim. Um, but however, you, you got to realize that many of the sites in Israel and, and outside of Israel that, that the way they came to be holy sites was uh, after the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine, his mother, Helena, felt that she had the spiritual ability through emanations to sense where the holy sites were. So she went to Bethlehem, and there was tour guides there and stuff too. So some of them tour guides said, hey, we know for sure this location or that location. Um, but she's like, oh, I think this is where Christ was born. Or, I know this is where Christ was born. I can sense this is the location. So they built a Catholic church there, basically, is what it eventually ended up being. And uh, so some of the sites, absolutely, she's wrong on as we go through Israel. Uh, but uh, most of them, she's gotten the, the right ballpark, I think. But this one here, uh, I, I'm not so sure. Um, there's some really great arguments on why some people believe it's actually over in the Saudi Arabia today. Um, and so I'm not going to go into that, but there's some really cool stuff on YouTube on this. Um, there's a, a video on there that I saw years and years ago. A guy, he's pretty dramatic, and I don't really trust the guy that much. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's worth watching, and, but yet he does make some really good points on why it probably, the current location for sure is wrong. And that I'm pretty sure on. But either way, they came to this mountain of God, wherever it may have been. And in verse 3, so Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. So Moses goes to God for the people. 
And we're going to see in a minute that he then goes to the people for God. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that God has given us as priests. We are the royal priesthood that God has ordained and how we can go and pray and on the behalf of people with intercessions and, and supplications and, and, and go to God for people. But then we can also take people to God, right? And, and tell them with uh, certainty, as John 20 says, whoever sins or for, you say are forgiven are forgiven. You know, it's like, hey, if you put your trust in Christ and believe his blood to forgive you, you are forgiven. But I don't feel forgiven. I'm such a sinner. In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven because the Lord has given us that power to know this to be true. But I, I love the way God looks at it. I want you to go tell them. Now, this has been a hard year. You guys remember uh, what a, a difficult time this has been. You know, they, they had a victorious uh, crossing of the Red Sea and things have just been melting down one after the next. Uh, the water was bitter and then they had no water and then the manna and they didn't get that quite right. And, and uh, it's been a murmuring, complaining. They almost stoned Moses one time. I mean, but God said, here's the way I've seen it. It's as if I swoop down like an eagle <laughs> and you are on my back and I'm flying you to myself. Now, from the man's point of view, I don't think they saw it so majestic, so glorious, so beautifully poetic. But from God's point of view, this is easy. This is joyful. You know, and, and, and God knows our frame, right? He knows we're weak. He knows we're just dust. And he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, you know. And, uh, of course, my kids now have kids. And uh, they always ask me, was I like that? As a baby, was I like that? As a two-year-old, was I? It's like, yep, 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 pretty much, yeah. Even, even worse, this is, this is how kids are. And they're like, man, I'm so sorry, you know. This karma, it's getting me, you know. Reap what you sow, whatever. It's like, nah, 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 it's just, it's just kids. And, and, and we know that, right? I mean, going into it, we don't expect to have a baby whose poop smells like lollipops, or doesn't spit up, or doesn't wake us up in the middle of the night crying. I mean, we, we know going into it, this is going to be a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice of yourself. And, and, uh, but at the same time, we're, we, we, we counted the cost, you know. Um, Sometimes you, you, you wish you could recalculate, but uh, <laughs> once the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, you can't put it back in. It's over. You got to deal with it. But God said, I want you to go tell the people that's, what, that's the way I'm viewing our relationship. This is just a joyful, powerful, glorious, majestic, wonderful time that I am seeing coming out of Egypt and heading to the promised land. There's no grief in my soul. There's not, go tell the people, no more murmuring. I'm getting sick of your, tired of your complaining and just shut up and eat the manna. And, you know, by the way, that's from heaven. You know, God didn't have any attitude, just beautiful patience and love. And in verse five, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. 
And so the Lord says that a lot. Everything's mine. And out of all that's on the earth, you are always going to be the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a special people to me. Later, God in his promises will say forever. He actually said it already in Genesis. And through the seed of Abraham, all the world would be blessed, which we have been through the Messiah. But he, he you got to understand that most promises in the Bible are what we call general promises. And what we say in that is there's an if-then clause to it. If you'll meditate on God's word day and night, then you'll be strong, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So God says, here's what I'm doing. I am soaring majestically, powerfully. I am just gloriously bringing you to myself. And you're going to experience this joyful relationship with me the way I am experiencing it towards you if, he tells him here, you will just have a yielded, submitted, teachable heart willing to obey. And if you can walk by faith, right, all the elders of old, everybody throughout history gained approval with God. How? By faith. And so have that faith and just rest in my wings as I fly you and, and realize that I'm not saying obey me because you're rotten and, and uh, quit being rotten. And, you know, I wish I hadn't left you guys in Egypt. It would have been what you really deserve. He says, no, obey me because you are a special treasure to me. Do you, do you understand? I want our relationship to be just incredibly joyful. I'm soaring you to myself, and I've got the greatest treasure that this earth is ever going to have in, in my people, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you are my special people, and through you, the Messiah is going to come and bring salvation to the world. And, and the more you're in harmony with my will, the greater you'll sense the soaring like eagles, the more you'll sense what a special treasure you are to me. And guess what? I'll become that special treasure to you. And where your treasure is, the Bible says, your heart will be also, right? And so it's going to be this joyful thing. You're not a strain on me. And I don't want my relationship to be a strain on you. It shouldn't be. It just comes down to that heart. And of course, uh, I think Peter says it better than anybody in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen generation, all of us now, who are children from not just the natural bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all of us Gentiles have been adopted into the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not by blood or DNA, but by the same faith Abraham had in God. We now all, it tells us in Romans 9, 10, and 11, we all now be are counted uh, as God's chosen people as well. And so all of us now, Jews and Gentiles together making up the one bride of Christ, uh, our royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And of course, Revelation 1, 6, 
God has made, as Jesus declares in that final book of the Bible, he has made us kings and priests to God the Father, to his glory forever and ever. And so it's, you got to understand, you are a special chosen people. And one day you're going to rule and reign on this earth as kings and priests unto me for a thousand year millennial reign. Then all of you will be priests and kings in the new heavens and the new earth that God makes forever and ever and ever. Well, in verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So, you know, you, you love it when you're God gives you a, such a positive, uplifting word, you know? When you're teaching verse by verse of the Bible, you cover a lot of topics you would never cover in a, um, a sermon topical because um, it just would be sort of weird to talk about it for 20 minutes when really it's just a five-minute message, you know? But then on the other hand, if you come out with a message on whatever, on, you know, don't commit adultery or... Uh, tithe or love your wife as Christ loved the church. People out there going, well, why is the pastor speaking on that this week? Does he know? You know, <laughs> what's happening? Did he go through the tithe records and he's looking at me? I think he's looking at me. He's looking at me, you know. <laughs> but yet when we're teaching to the Bible, it's where we're at in God's word. It's where we're at. But it is joyful when you can come and just say, hey, here's the verses we're preaching on. And I've done a whole sermon on this, verse three through six that we are that special treasure, and it's just a, a joyful message. So I'm sure Moses, even though he's 81 years old now, skipped on down the hill to go, woohoo, uh, man, I can't wait to preach this message. And Moses came, and he called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So I took the went to God for the people. Now I came to the people for God. Now I'm going back to God for the people. And, um, and they got it. It's like, we get it. We get it. We um, walk in obedience. We experience the blessings. I, uh, my pastor Chuck Smith used to always say, you want to live under the spout where the blessings flow out. You know, uh, Jesus said, be on the narrow road that leads to life not on the broad road that leads to destruction. But the very next chapter is chapter 20 on the law. And as Paul teaches on the law in Romans 7, what does he say? The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. How did I come to this? The law. And he explains the law. And so I, I believe they were sincere but they didn't understand their sinful nature, right? I mean, Paul thought, man, I'm just going to try harder. And the harder I tried, the worse I got. You know, things I don't want to do, I really, really don't want to do. I'm not going to do them this week. Last week, well, that was a fluke. This week, you know, and, and, and he finds that he's still in sinful flesh. And he says, man, the inner man is so submitted to God. And the inner man, I love the law of God. And the inner man, I want to please God and walk in such obedience. But then I find another principle in my body, this members of my flesh, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of flesh. So I find one principle in my spirit to please and obey God. I find another principle in my flesh just dragging me down, having it being so hard to, to obey God. 
And we'll talk more about that. But here he, he brings us back. And in verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So go tell them that they're going to hear what I have to say, what I want them to obey with me actually speaking. And the thick cloud we know in the New Testament, the, when God came in the cloud at, at the Mount of Transfiguration and so forth, it's the Shekinah glory of God. It's the presence of God. So the presence of God is going to settle right down on them, and then God is going to speak to them. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 10, Go to the people and consecrate or sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So get them anticipating me speaking to them. Have their hearts ready to hear from me. You know, I, I think this is the heart God wants us to have every day. You know, Jesus speaks prophetically in Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5, where he says, when he's in the flesh, the Lord God, referring to his Father, will awaken me morning by morning. He'll quicken my ear to hear as a learner, the Greek Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew has the word disciple in it. Quicken my ear as a disciple that I might have the word to sustain wearing the day. And I was not rebellious, nor I turned my back. So it was hard to wake up. But I, 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 was, I got myself out of sleep and the father spoke to me. And then I went out and today you're going to be confronting a, a guy who's got 6,000 demons in him. Uh, tomorrow you're going to be talking to a, a synagogue ruler whose daughter's dying. Uh, tomorrow you're going to be seeing a rich young ruler, you know, and, and, and the father's preparing him, preparing his heart, and he's hearing from the father. And this is why, again, we want to meditate in God's word day and night to have that heart of just saying, I'm ready, Lord. I'm expecting, Lord. I, I definitely think that's true when we come to church. You know, I, I think we probably, most of us do that, right? We have this, this sense. I, I know for me, especially on Sundays, about Friday night, but for sure Saturday morning, there's just this holy hush that comes on me. And I'm just in this place, just stirred by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and just God's just penetrating his word just throughout my being, my heart, my mind. And, and when I come Sunday morning, I am just a dam ready to break, just feeling like, man, I'm just, God's going to meet us here today. And my heart's crying out. And, and, um, and it's just a beautiful thing. And I think if we came with that anticipation, I know when God's spirit was falling in the Jesus movement times, people would get to church hours early. Uh, just one, they wanted to find a seat because <laughs> usually they're standing room. But also, it's just they wanted, they couldn't get there soon enough. They just had such an anticipation and excitement and, uh, and get prayed for and worship a little bit and share Bible verses with each other. 
And, and uh, I, I, I love your God. He's just saying, before I come, I want them to have this building expectation. And I want them to, to let the Holy Spirit search them and say, Lord, is there some things that you need to talk to me about to give me that pure heart, to give me that moldable heart? Is there any bitterness or hardness of heart or, or unconfessed sin? And, and before I, I, I come, I, I want to be washed and sanctified. And I want to have my, the soil of my heart fertile just for you to plant all the seeds. That's a beautiful thing. Well, in verse 12, and it shall uh, set, you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourself that you do not go up on the mountain to touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall uh, surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow by man, whether it's beast or a man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near uh, your wives. This Just be consecrated. Just set yourself apart. It's not about your pleasure. It's not about um, life as usual. You're, you're having this sanctified heart as your focus on one thing to hear from God. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was a thunder and a lightning and thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. I don't think this was man's trumpet. I think this was the angels. And so all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And in verse 18, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. It's engulfed in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain <clears throat> and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through and gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also the priests who came near to the Lord consecrated themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, <coughs> Excuse me. Set bounds around the mountains and consecrate it. And the Lord said away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. So God's powerful, holy presence, these people um, were still very much living in idolatrous and pagan methods. We're going to find later, years later, 40 years later, they, uh, Joshua says, before we go in, uh, we got to get rid of your idols again. And then they got in the land, they're getting rid of their idols still. They, they, they had a hard time letting go uh, of these past pagan worships. And so he's like, you guys are not ready to stand in the presence of God. Even though you've prepared yourself, you're not in any way sanctified to come into the presence, except for Moses and Aaron. And God said in chapter 20 now, there in, in verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So he's, he's telling them. At this point, Moses said, God's done this. And now God is saying, yes, the one who brought you out of bondage is the very one who's now with you, the pillar of God by day, the pillar of fire by night. But I am the one who is the one talking to you, your deliverer. Now, this is going to begin a teaching that's going to eventually include 613 laws. That will take through uh, uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It'll explain them and redefine them and explain them again. And situations come up and they explain it again. And most of those laws were simply for the Jews, okay? Um, a lot of them were for the priest, who of the Levitical priesthood of the Jews. Now, some of those principles apply to us as the priesthood in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of them don't. A lot of them were pictures that would be fulfilled in Christ. And then you got the ceremonial laws, again, a picture of what Christ would do on the cross. And then you have uh, some specific laws for the desert, other laws for the king. Um, then you've got civil laws, because at this time, the priests were also going to be the actual civil government as well. The prophet was the civil government as well as the spiritual. The judges and the book of Judges would be the civil and the spiritual. Um, the Leviticus priests were supposed to pick up, but they never were very strong, um, really, too much, except for a handful of, of kings of Judah. But um, then you, um, and so when a lot of times people will, you know, read something and say, oh, you know, somebody commits adultery, according to the law, they're supposed to be stoned. How ridiculous the Bible is. And you're going, no, that was the civil government where God is their king and he is judging through his prophet and that was to be done or later through the king. Um, how that spelled out was uh, very unique, but God is saying, that's my heart. And that's the way I want it to happen right now as they were in the desert. Like I said, it would change. And this law, when God rules as king on this earth again, will be once again uh, put, to, put in use exactly as written. And Psalms 2 tells us that when Jesus rules, uh, he will uh, stop any wickedness whatsoever, like taking a metal rod, hitting a clay pot. He won't let, allow it to happen. But so people try to make the New Testament look ridiculous. Uh, or excuse me, try to make Christianity look ridiculous because of these laws. But it, it's simply, when we go through them, uh, we'll break them down, put them into sections, and you'll see uh, how they apply. Uh, but remember, when they said, well, Jesus it says to stone everybody who commits adultery, here's this woman cast in the, uh, who's been caught in the act of adultery. Uh, Jesus doesn't stone her, right? Jesus says, go and sin no more. So there's redemption uh, and that's ex exactly what the Lord is speaking of. But we start off with 10 unique moral laws uh, 
which not all 10, but most of them are already written in our hearts at creation. We have a conscience. And wherever you go in the world, people's innate understanding is lying is wrong, murder is wrong, adultery is wrong, uh, you know, stealing is wrong, right? And, uh, and then one I might add to it, rape. Those five things sociologists have found in any society, if those are not seen as evil and punished, the society will dissipate. It won't stay together. It will implode on itself. And uh, again, you say, well, you know, hold it now. Over in such and such a country, the, the women over there are topless. And you say, okay, they're, they're defining uh, modesty in a way that uh, we don't. But let me just simply ask you, in that country, do you want to go live there? No, you wouldn't. Well, and there's some countries where, you know, it's okay to still if, you know, the guy leaves it out in his front yard. Yeah, I know, but do you want to live in that country? Do you want to live in such a society? The fact is, is the closer you come to walking as Jesus walks and you say, this is how I'm going to govern a country, the better that country would be to live in, right? And, um, and so the Lord is now speaking, and we're going to talk about how this all applies to the New Testament believer. But these first 10 commandments, some see 11, some see eight, sort of depends on how you break them up here. But um, in, I'm going to do it in a traditional sense. The first five are sinning against God, and the second five are man sinning against man. So the first one here is, you shall have no other gods before me. And like I said, at this point, pretty much everybody had an idol in their tent. And uh, we're going to see right after this, <laughs> right after Moses gets the King Commandments, he comes down and uh, they made a golden calf, remember? Um, so it's like the first three of these laws uh, before God even got it written um, down on the Ten Commandments, on the, on the tablets, they had already broken them. So but right now they heard him. They heard him plainly from God's mouth. Secondly, you shall not make yourself a carved image, the likeness of anything that is on uh, heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am jealous, visiting iniquity on the fathers, upon the children, to the third and the fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So don't create an animal, a human, some kind of picture you got of something heavenly and and then put that in a place where it starts becoming an idol to be prayed to and to be worshiped and and you're trying to get supernatural blessings and powers via through them from God no that that I don't want that now in these couple of verses here there is a heretical doctrine called the generational curse and they take this verse and they say Yes, you know, you know, my my grandmother, my great great grandmother, you know, she used to read horoscopes 
That's why now I love the stars, you know. Um, it's passed down, you know. Uh, my grandpa was a drunk, and that's why the rest of my family has been a drunk, you know. Now, I'll just say on a, on a very practical basis, we can see that we definitely affect our children, right? Our parents affected us. Um, so I, I'm not going to say there's no residual effect. If you're a, a godly person, that's going to be a tremendous blessing to your children. But at the same time, uh, if you're an alcoholic, that's going to deeply affect the children as well. But to say that there is some spiritual principle here that says um, the reason you're suffering is because your parents or great-great-grandparents or whatever uh, were pagans and, and, and they allowed, uh, you know, tarot cards or Ouija boards or, you know, the, they, they worshipped on the island they came from, this God or that God, and that's why these demons are now affecting you because you were born with this uh, lineage thing upon you, this monkey on you, uh, oppressing your life, and you need to cast those demons out or break those bonds or, or whatever. And so for 1995, you can get my special oil. And uh, in Ezekiel 18, from this verse, the Jews had created a proverb. And the proverb went like this. My parents ate sour grapes, so now my teeth are on edge. And the word of the Lord from Ezekiel was, I don't ever want to hear that stinking prophecy again, or that, that uh, proverb again. It's just completely false. And then he declares, every soul is mine. Every individual person comes to this world with a clean slate. <laughs> Okay, now, obviously, like I said, on a human level, we've got DNA, and, and, uh, and those things do affect us, but spiritually, no. Um, and uh, if you walk in obedience, you'll have God's blessing. If you walk in sin, don't think, well, it's really not my fault. It's my parents, my great-grandparents' fault because, you know, no, no. You, you are responsible. You're not getting a generational curse. You're not getting a generational blessing. God has no grandkids, just kids. And uh, it's up to you. And, and so don't, don't try to cop out on this. But what is he saying? He's saying that if you have this pattern of, of idolatry, it's just going to continue on. And it has to stop. And, and those who stop their idolatrous ways are going to start walking in this obedience and you're going to just see the blessings of God a thousand times over pour out upon your life. Just simply this, it pays to serve Jesus. It pays to obey God. And uh, when your teenagers are going, well, yeah, but I don't get to go to the cool parties and I don't get to, you know, do what all the other popular kids are doing. And, you know, I don't, if I don't smoke dope with them, they're, they're going to think I'm a nerd and, you know, I'll never become somebody on camp, you know, and you just say, you know what? It pays to serve Jesus. 15, 18, 25, 
29, 35, I, I guarantee you, you'll look back and say, I was in that place and I, I by God's grace, I did what God wanted and, and I look back on it now and I'm like, so glad I did. And I had a number of Christian friends in high school, uh, in my youth group, and many of them got to that place in high school where they just said, you know what, I'm going to walk away from God in a few years and after college, after I've had uh, my fun, I'm going to come back to Christ, you'll see me when I'm, you know, 24 or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's a presumptuous, presumptuous heart. And that, that is a scary, scary place to be. And virtually none of those people did come back to Christ. Um, and then there was a couple of us. It was lonely. I mean, it, it wasn't the, the narrow road is not the majority of the people. Um, so I'm not saying there, there weren't times where there was an isolated feeling or a feeling like you were missing out on the, the, what the rest of the world experiences. But, man, I, I don't regret having followed Jesus. And interesting, in 1 John 5.21, we mentioned this last week. Little children, he just, out of the blue, John ends the book to Christians saying, keep yourself from idols. End of the letter. Amen. Keep yourself from my, because we can make anything into an idol. I remember when uh, Cheryl and I were dating for some time, I, I, I don't know, year maybe or so into our courtship. And uh, one day she's just like, you know what? I think that our relationship is too important to us. And it's before the Lord. It's, it's getting in the way of everything. And uh, I just think, um, you know, we're going to cool it for a while. I'm, I'm breaking up with you. And, um, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was, was uh, you know, hate her guts because it was very painful. <laughs> it was very, very painful. And then I got bitter, and then I got angry. And then, I, and then finally I just realized, oh, man, she was so right. Cheryl was my everything. And she was the first thing what I thought when I woke up and every waking moment. Uh, unhealthily so. I wanted just to be with her and, and, uh, and didn't want to be away from her at any point in time. I, I, that was the description of what you're supposed to fill with God, right? In him, you're supposed to live and move and have your being. And so, uh, never forget that lesson. Still hate her for it, but you know, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so, you know, people often say, oh, that's actually saying the words of, you know, blank, blank, blank. You know, people will hit their finger and they don't say, oh, Buddha or that Muhammad. You know, it's always <laughs> our Lord and Savior's name used. And you say, well, that's taken it in vain. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't think that's the, the meaning here, though. Because the word vain means literally emptiness. In other words, you know, I, I know some people, it's like, oh, praise the Lord, you know. Oh, man, I almost tripped. Praise the Lord. And it's like, and it's, and it's almost like, oh, I'll pray for you about that. Oh, yeah, man, it's just, oh, you know, praise Jesus. I, and it's, it's like an emptiness. It's not genuine. It's, it's, it's sort of Tourette's, you know, Christian Tourette's. Um, <laughs> and and, and it's, it's really not a genuine worship of the Lord. Or again, um, 
Jesus talks about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, you've got a teacher who's teaching, you know, profoundly and powerfully as if he's arrived and he's talking to everybody else that, you know, hopefully one day you can be where I'm at, you know, and, and yet he's not doing it at all. And Jesus says, man, such a person is the least in, in my kingdom understanding. I think that's using God's name in vain. It's, it's you're your, your, your telling somebody to obey and follow Christ where you have, you're not doing it at all. That's, that's cursing God in my mind. And I think this is more of what it means to not have, a, as it says in 2 Timothy, a form of godliness without the power or one translations, a form of godliness without reality. It's just a sterile form that looks on the outside to man like Christianity, but inwardly it's just empty. It's just a, a shell. Well, in verse 8 now, um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord, your God, in it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord uh, blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, made it holy. Now, obviously, God made the world in six days, and it's very clear here. If you say, well, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, you know, it could be, you know, a billion years in between each day, or, you know, can people come up with this theistic evolution, or, um, you know, the earth is really billions of years old, and, you know, all these different things. But you read the text here. It, it cannot be anything other than a literal six days. Well, that was Moses' opinion. Let's go back. Who was talking here? <laughs> It's God, right? And he said, I made the earth emphatically here in six days. So again, I, I, when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. And, and, and again, it's ridiculous to think that, you know, this would be hard for God to do it in six days, but he could pull it off in 13 billion years. It's, it's just ridiculous. But he, he, he said, I'm finished. I'm done. Now, God could have created infinitely, right? But he said, I am done. I'm not going to create anything more after this. But this next day, it's just going to be a unique day to rest in the finished work of God. Interesting. The very last thing God created was man. And he said... All of this is for you. All the trees are for you to eat, the animals, all these things are for you. Now that you're alive on earth, all right, let's get started. No, just rest in my work that I did for you. Now you say, why is this so important? Well, I'm not going to teach you tonight, but read Hebrews chapter 4. I have it in your notes if you are looking at those. But he makes it clear there that the children of Israel never entered the rest of God. They were told to, they were instructed to, 
They, they wrote a, a Mishnah of 1,500 pages on how to, but they, they never did because they didn't have faith to rest in the work that God did. Now, I'm not saying they don't have their Seder meal Friday night and they don't do a lot of things legalistically, but they never entered into the rest of God. And he explains this in Hebrews 4 by saying in verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So Jesus is on the cross for the second time in the history of man. Just like it says in Genesis, beginning of chapter two there, and God stopped, God finished, God completed. There was nothing else to be done. I think there's four different words there, if I remember right, on, on God's completing. What did Jesus, the last words on the cross? It is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full, completed, nothing else. Now, what did he tell the thief on the cross? Believe on me. And the, and the thief said, Jesus, Lord, remember me. When, when, future tense, you come into your kingdom. He believed he was Lord. He believed he was going to raise from the dead. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, what did that thief do? Did, what can he do with his hands? They were tied to the cross. Hey, Ben, you want to shut that door? Or Dave, you got it? Um, Tell Ben there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, so on the cross, he, he, his hands were tied. His feet were tied. He wasn't going to live past that. But yet, he's going to be in heaven equal to you and me. And we're going to say, that's not fair. I had to read my Bible and pray and give my money and listen to Brian preach and uh, I do all this junk and you know you get to share the same mill with me in heaven next to Jesus this doesn't now it's the finished work of Christ it there's nothing we can do to it and so people who who say well I believe that God saved me man I got a perfect attendance at church I believe God saved me but oh I didn't pray this morning God forgive me oh, don't strike me dead it, 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 you don't understand you're not resting the, the, the Sabbath for the New Testament is fulfilled, it tells us in Colossians 2, in Christ. He is our Sabbath. And we rest in that work. Boy, each one of these commandments, I could preach a whole sermon on it. Matter of fact, I did. Um, if you go back in the archives, I think they're still there. Um, but now the second five, and we're just going to go just a couple more verses and end here. But the second group of five now is not sins towards God, but now sins towards man. And the first one, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land with which the Lord God is giving you. And we talked about this last week where Paul in Ephesians 6, 2 says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live on long on the earth. Now, part of the reason we're going to find in the morning in just a minute is that all of the commandments are just to show us we were sinful. And they were all, don't do this, don't do that, 
all of the commandments are just to show us we were sinful. And they were all, don't do this, don't do that. The only one close to saying that was keep the Sabbath holy. But as we'll go on later, it's don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, um, to keep the Sabbath holy. Uh, but this one is the one to do. It's not don't, it's do. It's a positive one. And it's exactly in the New Testament saying this applies straight across the board to Christians. And instead of being in the land of Israel, he says, you'll live long on the earth. You'll have a full life on the earth. But we're looking at this going, well, this is the fifth commandment. Well, it is and it isn't. I think the New Testament, Paul's saying this is the number one commandment of God for us in the New Testament, for us to, to honor God and honor man. But then it's also the first of the second five commandments when you're talking about uh, the five that sin against man. So the Jews very much would have thought in that way. So this is the first of that second five. Uh, interesting, in the last days, 2 Timothy 3 says, perilous times are going to come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. So you, you listen to that list. You know, boasters, proud, blasphemers, lovers of themselves. And then the next thing on the list is disobedient to parents. And Jesus said that in Matthew 24, that uh, family's going to turn against one another. Kids will turn in their father and, and betray one another. And love will grow cold. And so in these last days, in particular, that's something, the spirit of these last days, we're going to have to fight against. Well, verse 13 Looking at number six now, you shall not murder. And then in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now, again, these didn't need a lot of explanation because they're written in our hearts. Everybody knows this. This is common knowledge. If you'll listen to your conscience, of course, you can sear your conscience on anything and good becomes evil and evil becomes good. And uh, when I'm talking about murder here, it's not talking about killing like you would in war or something like that. So don't try to interpret this to say, oh, my religious conscience says I can't murder. That's not murder. We're, we're not talking about that. And later on in the law, he's going to break this down. He's going to talk about premeditated murder uh, and then um, second degree murder, as we'd say, that, that wasn't premeditated. But either way, the Pharisees, again, were saying, oh, yeah, you know, I keep the commandments perfectly in their definitions. But Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, oh, let's relook at this. You've been told, he says in Matthew 5, 21, uh, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says in his heart, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell's fire. So Jesus is saying here, if, if all you heard is don't kill somebody and I never have actually killed anybody, then I'm good with God. He said, you, you're not listening to what the Bible's really saying. And I think this is a tremendous point because we really do need to get the heart of God on what he's saying unless we become a Pharisee, just checking the box, right? You know, um, well, I did go to church. Well, I came an hour late and, you know, ate some eggs, and but I went to church. Well, I did go to church. I sat in the back and I played a game, you know, on my phone the whole time. Fell asleep and, and, you know, woke up at the final prayer and, you know, really sang that last song strong. You know, it's like, 
Yeah, it's not about checking boxes. It's about listening to the heart of God on, on what is he saying here? What, what is the Lord speaking? And Jesus said, it's not just God who looks on the outward man, but God looks on the heart and he sees this uh, heart of anger. So a guy who actually kills somebody and then he looks at you going, you idiot. And God looks at the temperature of both your hearts and guess what? They're the same. They both are murderers. I, I said that one time, and I had a guy come up afterwards. He goes, I, back when I was in a gang, I actually did stab somebody to death. And he goes, honestly, I, I can tell you a lot more people I was mad, more mad at than him. It's just he had uh, uh, insulted somebody a few weeks earlier, and, and uh, I was at the party. He was there. I was surprised to see him. A knife was there. Uh, my boys were around, and I, it was just more opportunity thing. And... Uh, but yeah, it's true. And then same with adultery. He says, you said, don't commit adultery. But he said, hey, if you're lusting in your heart, you, God sees that. He's looking at this guy who's literally committing adultery. Then he's looking at this guy who's fantasizing committing adultery in his mind. And he's looking at their hearts going, they're equally lustful. They're equally adulterous. And so Again, God looks not on just the outward man, but, but on the heart. And so God writes it in his book as adultery. And Jesus ends that, certainly not by saying, not ends it, but in it, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Interesting, in the church, he says the works of the flesh, and he has to give four words for adultery or sexual uncleanness. He says in Galatians 5.19, adultery, fornication, which is the word pornea, you get pornography from, but then he has a more general word, uncleanness. And then he has a fourth word, <laughs> um, lewdness or licentiousness. You know, everybody makes himself an exception to the rule, and especially in this Roman culture. Well, I understand, you know, back in the Bible times, that's what they would have done. But, you know, in our culture, you know, we, everybody has sex before they get married. In our culture, you know, Disney Channel taught us... Um, <laughs> And it's like, hey, it's not going to fly with God. You need to hear his heart of what he's saying on this. And I have some other verses there for you. And then in verse 15, don't steal. And in verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor. So don't be, be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, I wanted to just end with this thought. How does this apply to us New Testament believers? In Romans 3, he says, is the law there to make us righteous? And he says plainly in Romans 3, 19 and 20, no. The law was there to put us under the law that every mouth would be stopped and all the world would become guilty before God. In Romans, he says, it was sin before God said it was sin. And you could see it on the negative effects that man was suffering and died. So the first murder was by Cain and there was great suffering and death uh, was in the world through that and Adam's sin and Eve's sin. And, and, and so you see it, but then God said it. And Paul says in Romans 7, he said, I, I, I never really coveted until I heard, don't covet. Then my heart just like, ah, coveted it. And it's like, did the law 
help me to covet? He goes, no, it just, it revealed the covetousness that was in my heart. The law revealed it so I could see it and see how sinful I really was. And in Galatians 3, it says that the law was given because of transgression. And then it was a tutorer to tutor us to see that we can't do anything about the sin nature. It tutored us to see we need God to intervene, forgive us, give us a new heart, and to have a relationship now not based upon our efforts, but based upon his grace and mercy. And we'll look into that a little bit more next week as then we'll finish up uh, Exodus 20 and, and on in 20, all the way to 22. Lord, thank you for your word tonight and just put it deep, deep, deep into our hearts that we could hear your voice and follow you every single day, not by the letter of the law that kills, but by the spirit to walk Jesus as you walk, to be holy and righteous and pure and clean so we can enjoy our relationship with you and you can enjoy us and we can have that fruitful life in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you guys.